Today, we're going to look at maggots in the manna. Hmm? Huh? You ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for this. I don't know if you're ready for this. But I think you know where I'm going. Y'all know what manna is, right? But back then, they didn't know what manna was. So we've been talking on this series. Next Sunday might be the last sermon in this series. And then I want to get into, I think, a series on worship. It's time we look at it again. But I've, I entitled this, There's Power in Doing Nothing. And it's so contrary to the way people think today. It's totally antithetical. You got dictionaries on your phone. Just look it up. <laughs> it, it's so against everything we know today because we're pushed and we're stressed, and it's all about you got to give it 24-7. Everything's open 24-7. Some of us have to work 24-7. And we're constantly under this stress, and we're constantly under uh, all, this, all this pressure to perform, to provide, to get ahead. You can get ahead. You could be the head. What difference does it make if you lose your soul? Can I say it another way? What difference does it make if you lose your kids or lose your marriage? What, what, what have you gained when you've lost the most important thing? And even though we are blessed with manna, which is heavenly food from heaven, if we don't go about this in the right way, you could wind up more with maggots than manna. So let's look at the Scripture from Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Can you stand a few Scriptures? You okay? On the 15th day of the second month after they had left Egypt, so it's not, it's not you know, it's just two months after they had left, the whole company of Israel moved on from Elam to the wilderness of Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Remember, you remember what happened later at Sinai. The whole company of Israel complained against Pastor Moses and associate Pastor Aaron there in the wilderness. Uh-huh. The Israelites said, why didn't God let us die in comfort? In comfort? You were slaves. Isn't it amazing how we re what we remember from the past? We remember what we want to remember. Oh, the good old days. I don't know that I've ever had any good old days. Y'all remember any? They were all hard. Right? Amen. So, so it died in comfort where we had lamb stew and all the bread we can eat? I thought it was leeks and onions. What? Uh, You've brought us out into this wilderness to starve us to death, the whole company of Israel. Do you really believe that if God could split the Red Sea and destroy the whole army of Egypt, that God would let you now starve? But, oh, we sometimes get into that frame of mind. God said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread down from the skies for you. The people will go out and gather each day's ration. I'm going to test them to see if they'll live according to my teaching or not. Isn't it interesting that when God blesses you, it's also a test for you? Sometimes we just take the blessing, and, and, and that blessing can mess you up if you don't take the blessing properly. 
So even when you're blessed, remember it's a test. And maybe that's why you don't get the second blessing because you, pa- you failed the test from the first blessing. Oh, geez, this, t- this is too deep. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they have gathered, it will turn out to be twice as much as their daily ration. Woo. So on Friday, they get twice as much. And I suppose some of them went. Some people have a poverty mindset or a poverty spirit. And what that is, even if they won the lottery, they'd blow it. Because they live with this constant fear that I, I might as well just spend what I have because I probably won't have it tomorrow. So they live like kings on one check. Moses, Aaron, told the people of Israel, uh, Israel, this evening you will know that it is God who brought you out of Egypt. Because people forget. Uh huh. Go to the next verse. Verse 14. When the layer of dew had lifted, there on the wilderness ground was a fine, flaky something. <laughs> fine as frost on the ground. Cool. The Israelites took one look and said to one another, Man, who? What is it? Manna literally means, what is it? A better name would have been Wonder Bread. They had no idea what it was. So Moses told them, it's the bread God has given you to eat. Uh Uh-huh. And these are God's instructions. Gather enough for each person, about two quarts per person. Gather enough for everyone in your tent. The people of Israel went to work and started gathering some more, some less. But when they had measured out what they had gathered, those who gathered more had no extra, and those who gathered less weren't short. Each person had gathered as much as was needed. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't God great? Moses said to them, don't leave any of it until morning. Don't hoard your blessing. But they didn't listen to Pastor Moses. A few of the men kept back some of it until the morning. You know, let's, let's save it. You know, you don't know what might happen tomorrow. It got wormy and smelled bad. And Pastor Moses lost his temper. Ha. You getting this? You getting this? It's a lack of faith. It was a lack of faith. Well, I got it today. Will God do it tomorrow? I can't lean on God. I can't trust God for this. I I need to make sure that I take care of me. So I'm going to hoard this a little bit, keep some of it back so I got some tomorrow, but it wound up with maggots. They gathered every morning, each person according to need, then the sun heated up and melted, and it melted. That's cool. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, about four quarts per person. Then the leaders of the company came to Moses and reported. Mm-hmm. Moses said, this is what God was talking about. Tomorrow is a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to God. Whatever you plan to bake, bake today. And whatever you plan to boil, boil today. Then set aside the leftovers until morning. Guess what? No maggots the next day. 
They set aside what was left until morning as Moses commanded. It didn't smell bad, and there were no worms in it. Can I, you know, amen. Moses said, now eat it. This is the day, a Sabbath for God. You won't find any of it on the ground today. This is the Sabbath. Don't get up and go gathering manna because it's not there. I already provided what you needed for Saturday on Friday. We get into this thing where we think, if I don't work seven days, I won't make as much money. I'm going to, you know, everyone else in the company is working. They're getting ahead of me. No, 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 no. Everything you need when you don't work on Sunday has already been provided on Saturday. Oh, Jesus, help us. Gather it every day for six days, but the seventh day is Sabbath. There won't be any of it on the ground. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather anyway. All right, Gomer, come on. They didn't find anything. God said to Moses, how long are you going to disobey my commands and not follow my instructions? They're so simple. Don't you see that God has given you the Sabbath? Don't you see that God has given you the Sabbath? So on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. So each of you, stay home. Don't leave home without it. (laughs) So the people quit working on the seventh day. It's amazing (laughs) how how hard it is to convince people that you don't need to go full steam seven days a week. 24-7 is actually counterproductive. It often produces maggots that consume your efforts and your labor. It's now been proven scientifically. I've I've read the reports. These are non-Christians that have done scientific studies I'm going to share more next week, but they've actually proven that people who work 60 hours a week are just as productive as those who work 40 hours a week. No difference. They can push you to 60, but you're actually, it actually becomes counterproductive. And you wind up just being, tell your boss this, that working 60 is counterproductive. Having that one day off will make 40 hours more productive than 60 hours. Scientists have concluded this. And they say nothing about Sabbath. They say nothing about the Scriptures. They just figured it out all by themselves. I love it when people figure out the Scriptures are right. Amen. We see this, for instance, in Haggai, not Haggai, the the book, Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, "This this people says, this generation, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Mm -hmm. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple to lie in ruins? 
Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink and are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into, into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You keep working, but you've got holes in the pockets. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Okay? You looked for much, but in need it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. God's saying when you don't put the house first, oh, you're going to get quiet on me now. When you put your house ahead of his house, when it's more important that you do your stuff than his stuff, he said, all, all that you've gained with your stuff, it'll be like you have holes in your pockets. And you know you're making enough, but it's never enough. And everything you try to do falls apart. And you keep eating, but you're still hungry, and you're never satisfied, and you're never full. And God says it's because you put your house before God's house. You put sports ahead of Sabbath. Oh, you're going to look at me in that tone of voice, okay? I appreciate you just don't understand. I'm going to get a scholarship. Look, look, why don't you trust the Lord? You're teaching your kids something. I mean, what are you really teaching them? And then they get older and they're 16 and they got a license and a job and they're never back in church ever again. You go, where did I go wrong? Well, because you never prioritized the house of the Lord. If you don't prioritize it, they're not going to prioritize. Church and church life and serving the Lord will always be something maybe I'll get to someday. But if you don't put God first, he'll never be first because you'll always think all this other stuff is what I've got to do. Can I get an amen or am I, am I right? Am I okay with this? All right. Even if you disagreed, I would uh, disagree. By the way, tithing works the same way. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. It's going to get real quiet now, Lord. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinance and not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you. But says the Lord of hosts, but you said, in what way shall we return? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just going about my business. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Uh huh. You are cursed with a curse. It doesn't say God cursed you. It says that you're under one. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, is the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Oh, praise God. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. I, I, I think what he's saying is that when you don't tithe, he doesn't rebuke. 
When you don't tithe, he doesn't rebuke the devourer, so you wind up losing more than if you had tithed in the first place. I remember when I first got saved and they told me about tithing, I danced a jig. Woo, hallelujah. Y'all know what I was into before I was saved? I was giving the devil 80%. God only wanted 10%. I got saved. I made money. <laughs> you start adding up all the stuff some of us do that we don't need to be doing, all the, all the sinful things maybe that we're doing and how much it costs. Listen, it's time to put God first. When you tithe, he rebukes the devourer. He rebukes that which eats up what you have. This, this isn't about you giving us money. This is about establishing yourself in the Lord in such a way that he opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing upon you. Are you saying, Pastor, I can't be blessed if I don't tithe? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are some blessings that you will never receive until you tithe. Does that make sense? I'm not here to make you feel bad or rebuke you or, or, or fuss at you. I'm just, I'm just trying to release heaven under you. Oh, right now I feel it in the name of Jesus. Will someone just declare an open heaven over this church? Come on, declare it physically with your voice. I declare open heavens over Journey Life Center and all 225 families. Give him praise and glory. Wow. Wow. I said it last week. What if we stop eating out on Sunday? What if we refuse to put gas in our tank on Sunday? Well, you're making other people work. Ouch. I was going to go out to eat. Hello. You got anything at the house? I'll, okay, okay. We're, if she said no, I was going to say, well, who will invite me over? But then I'd, making you, I'd be making you work. You say, well, how did the Jews do that? They cooked everything ahead of time. Friday was called the day of preparation. And they would spend the day mowing the lawn and taking care of everything and, and fixing meals. And so everything was ready on the Sabbath. They didn't cook on the Sabbath. They ate on the Sabbath. That's not work. You can play and you can pray on the Sabbath. What if, how many of you are old enough to remember when Nothing was open pretty much on Sunday. Anybody remember that? You people are old. You, people. you are old. <laughs> but but I, I remember that. I, I remember, you know, being raised, being raised Catholic, you know, we, we went to church. Now, we went to church in Minnesota in the snow. Thank you. I remember my dad getting up on Sunday morning, putting chains on the tires. I mean, he went through that much effort. Church never closed on Sunday. Whew. Of course, the priest lived right next door. You know, he didn't have any problem getting over there. But the rest of it, we put chains on our tires. Can you imagine the effort? And we went to church. And it wasn't nearly as exciting as Journey Life Center. Just saying. Growing up, growing up, I went, to, I went to Catholic school. I went to church six days a week. 
My Sabbath was Saturday when I didn't have to go to church. <laughs> Went to church every day. But we honored that day. And I don't remember us doing anything except maybe visiting relatives on that day or relatives visiting us. We, we did nothing on that day. What's happened to our society? What if they closed? I, I want to throw, throw this up. How many know about Chick-fil-A? Actually, it's called Christian Chicken. Y'all, y'all real? Christian Chicken, that's the name. <laughs> I know it's hard to get numbers in your head, but listen very carefully. Chick-fil-A has 2,400 stores. 2,400 stores. Their revenue is $11.5 billion a year. KFC... The not Christian chicken. No, I'm sorry. I, I didn't say the devil's chicken. Come on. I, no, no, KFC's great chicken. They have not 2,400 stores. They have 22,600 stores. 2,400, 22,600 stores. So their revenue should be 10 times as great, right? Because they have 10 times as many stores. Their revenue is 23 billion. 10 times as many stores, only twice the revenue. I think God's blessing Christian chicken. Throw this, got these statistics up here. This is per store revenue, per store, per year. McDonald's, 2.6 million per store, per year. Starbucks, 945,000 per store. Subway, 416,000. KFC, 1.2 million per store. Chick-fil-A, revenue per store per year, 4.1 million. Every Chick-fil-A you see brings in twice as much as every McDonald's you see. And they're only open six days a week instead of seven. I believe God will bless you if you'll do what he asked you to do. Now, if you're a businessman, it doesn't make sense to close your door on Sunday. It doesn't make sense. But they did it anyway just to honor God. And you know what? You know what? You know what's so really cool about this? Every time somebody drives by Chick-fil-A, all, all, all the unlost or lost people uh, driving by Chick-fil-A, they go, well, I really could use, oh, today's Sunday. They're closed. Every Sunday, all these 2,400 stores are a witness to the glory of God. Everybody driving by. You know, the, the Chick-fil-A in New York City, it's, it's what was it, 3,000 square feet? It's three stories high. It's huge. There are places that won't let them come in because they're Christian. They try to stop them. There's a place out in Texas trying to stop, in California, they're trying to stop Chick-fil-A from being a business just because they're Christian. If you're Muslim, that's fine. But you can't be Christian and be a business. What's wrong with this crazy world? 
But in New York City, all these liberals, I, I've, been to the, I've been to the Chick-fil-A in Chicago. Every time you go by there, there's lines out on the street all time, all during their opening hours, lines and lines of super liberal people that don't believe in Christianity, but they compromise their beliefs to eat Christian chicken. They swallow their pride and it's that good. God is blessing. God is blessing. Have you ever shopped at Hobby Lobby? Can't shop there on Sunday. The owner, David Green, he started in 1970 with one store. It had a different name. Started with one store, and it became very successful. And he's a devout Christian to this day. He's a devout Christian. And he, he struggled with this because... Everybody in the industry told him, you're a crazy fool if you close on Sunday. You will lose one-seventh of your income or more. He said it's a stupid thing. So he didn't do it, and he didn't do it for a few years. And finally, he broke down and said, this is scriptural. I got to do it for me. I need to honor my employees and give them a day off. Everyone else needs to understand that this is the Lord's day, not our day to make money. And he stopped. He closed down. Now, he was profitable. That one store was doing great. But now, after, right after he closed down on Sunday, his store began to increase, and he began to sell franchises, and he began to grow and his business boomed, and now he has 822 stores and $4.3 billion in revenue. And by the way, David Green is personally worth $8 billion. Not bad for working six days a week. And he gives hundreds of millions away to Christian organizations. Church, it's time to get the maggots out of the manna. God's trying to bless us, but we're just working against him. And when he doesn't bless us, we, we blame him when it's us that aren't doing what we need to be doing. It's time to get the maggots out of the manna. But listen, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do if your boss makes you work? What are you going to do? It's hard. Find, a, it doesn't have to be on Sunday. Find a way to shut down, if not a day, half a day. Amen? Find a way to honor God. The Sabbath was made for you. To violate it is to violate a, a like, it's like violating gravity. It's, it's going to catch up to you. Some way, somehow. One person said that Sabbath-keeping is countercultural now. You're going against the culture. You're looked upon as very strange, some kind of radical nut. Is that all right, though? Hey, we're not in Mayberry anymore. When you act like a Christian, you don't act like other people. Just the other day, I was watching Andy Griffith, and they tried to get 
the town drunk, Otis. They tried to get Otis to do something. He said, no, I got to go. I got choir practice. Everybody in Mayberry went to church. <laughs> I mean, even if you didn't go to church, you had a church. You understood the culture. It was a church culture. And there wasn't any crime in Mayberry. Then the other day I read a statistic that Mayberry, actually the town that it was modeled after in North Carolina, that county, that town now leads North Carolina as the greatest percentage of crime in the state. Oh, Andy and Barney would have been overwhelmed. They, Mayberry now leads the state in crime. This whole world, everything has changed. And I wonder how much of it is because we have abandoned the faith. We've abandoned basic principles. We've abandoned who we are in God. We've thrown God out, and then we wonder what's wrong. If we just got rid of all the guns, there'd be no murder. Really? We have a less percentage of guns now than we've ever had in our history. It's not about guns. It's about something's gone wrong in our society. Something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. We've replaced prophets for God. We've replaced all that we think we need to be doing. We've thrown God out, and then we scratch our heads and wonder, what's going wrong? We don't have a, a law problem in our country. We've got a spiritual problem in our country. It's time that churches start preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time we stop uh, coddling uh, people and just, just let them live any old way. Let them. It's time that we put our foot down and say, this is the word of the Lord. We love you. We're not here to judge you, but here's the word. The word of God will change your life. Nothing else will be able to change your life. Judgment begins at the house of God. We can sit around in our little holy huddles and complain about how wicked the world is, or we can start passing out those little cards and saying, Jesus loves you, and here's a way that you can get some answers to life's problems, and there's a place, there's a safe place, amen? If you don't have a church, Journey Life Center is a safe place. You can come, we'll love you, we'll show you a better way, a higher way, a more beautiful way. We'll introduce you to Jesus. And we'll get the maggots. We'll get the maggots. We'll get the maggots. My God, are you helping me this morning? We'll get the maggots out of the manna. God doesn't want.